The following program comes to you through podbean.com. In the Artist Realm with Sylvia Stein. Here we go. Welcome to In the Artist Realm with myself. I am indie author Sylvia Stein and welcome to the show. Today we are going to continue on our writing tips from last week. Tool number three, which is the uh, workshop part. We did activate your verbs. I gave a review last week. And today we're going to go over the workshop questions. We're going to try to work through some of these questions today. And I was hoping to get emails from you guys. You still can send an email to sillwriter07 at gmail.com. Um, the book that you were supposed to uh, work on is The Writing Tools, 50 Essential Strategies for Every Writer by Roy Peter Clark. And the page is 22 in the back of the paper. Uh, I know to 55 essential Um strategies for every writer but i still have the one that has the 50 essential strategies for every writer writing tools by roy peter clark if you uh, want to go ahead and work on the questions you can still listen in and work on them if you have your ebook you have a kindle i believe now there's a thing you can highlight it through and make a note of it you can do that as well but for today we're going to cover the workshop and we're going to talk about verbs that fall into three categories we have the active the passive and the forms of to be so if if you uh, when we went over what an active verb is and what a passive verb is and we reviewed about the verb to be we discussed in uh, Roy Peter Clark's book what an active verb is basically it means the subject performs the action of the verb we call the verb active if the subject receives the action of the verb we call the verb passive now a verb that is neither active nor passive is a linking verb a form of the verb to be so here it, it also says it all verbs fit in any tense uh, uh, all verbs in any tense fit into one of the of uh, those three baskets it's always that way and we gave the example of Car Carlotta Gall we spoke about that and we gave the news article and we talked about the uh, verb qualifiers which we'll go on to in the next questions and so but for right now for for us to review active passive and forms uh to try to desc uh, describe a verb let's try to review a form of a, a work or, or some example of what they mean by that. So we will go to, let's begin with giving some examples of active verbs. Give me one moment. 
Okay. Okay. So let's go into the Ox uh, the Oxford Dictionary, and we're going to discuss the active verbs first. Sorry, it's taking a little bit to load up here this morning. Okay. You know how technology is, right? Uh, let's see here. Pulling it up now. Now, now it says here, depending, depending on the way in which you word a sentence, a verb can be passive. As we've been discussing, it's kind of like uh, we're going to go into the active and passive voice. It, it's the same. It, it's also, it falls into the same realm, but we'll do that in a little bit. We don't want to get confused for those of us that may still have issues with what, what exactly all that means. So let's go into the active verb. So as we had said, when the verb is active, the subject of the verb is doing the action as in these examples. I'm going to give you some examples from the Oxford Dictionary. Sorry, for some reason, I'm having issues pulling up this slide here on my uh, presentation here that I have in front of me. So bear with me here. Okay. So the, the this is the example I'm going to give you. France beat Brazil in the final. So here we see the subject of the verb is doing the action. What did France do? They beat Brazil in the final. I imagine it's talking about the World Cup type of final and it says that's an active verb. Exactly, because the verb is doing all the action. Now let's try to do another one here. Let me see if I can find one in one of my works here. From my book. Okay, so I'm going to read you a little excerpt since I'm having a lot of trouble pulling up on mine of my prologue for Chasing Clarity, part one. I'm going to read the first sentence. I'm just going to read that sentence. When I looked into his eyes, I could not keep from crying. It had been, it had been so long since I felt this way. So here the character, we don't know who it is, uh, we know, of course, in my book, it's Mia, but the first line, she says, when I looked into his eyes, looked is doing the action. So that is an active verb. I looked into his eyes. So the verb is doing all the action. What did she do? She looked into his eyes. I could not keep from crying. It had been so long since I felt this way. So that is an example of an active active verb there in that line and we have France beat Brazil in the final as Roy Peter Clark discussed in in the first part of Carlotta Gall's uh, New York Times lead she said in the first line it says waif like draped in a blue veil and Medina 20 sits on her hospital bed. 
So, so there's action there. That's an active verb of what, what the person is doing. That is what an active verb is. Of course, we have what falls into a, and this is another one, another example of the Oxford Dictionary. More than 300 million people speak Spanish. What do more than, more than 300 people do? They speak what? Spanish. So this is also active. It's an active verb. And then we have, of course, let's see here. Jack will take the matter forward. What is Jack going to do? He's going to take the matter forward. So something happened and he's going to move forward with it. So that's also active. Just like the example I gave when I read the line, I could not keep from crying. What couldn't I do? Could not keep from crying, which the action is crying. But I could, uh, the, the person saying, I couldn't stop from doing it. So just like Jack, Jack will take the matter forward. So that is all active. So those are the example of the active verbs. In the first question it, it, uh, of the workshop, it says, review and, and review your writing in circle verb forms with, with a pencil in the margins. You can categorize each verb. So you can do a list of the different active, passive, and also of the verb to be if you want to do that as well. Now let's move on to the passive verb. I'm going to start with the Oxford Dictionary. When the verb is passive, the subject undergoes the action rather than doing it. So let's give an example of what they have here. Here it says, Brazil was beaten in the final. So here it says that Basically here, it's the subject undergoes the action. In the other one, in the, in the, uh, in the uh, active voice, it, the subject was performing the action of the verb. Here, the verb is passive. The subject undergoes the action. So here, what happened? Brazil was beaten in the final. Instead of saying France beat Brazil in the final, here it says Brazil was beaten in the final. Who beat them? Well, we know because of the active verb, it was France. But here, the verb is passive and the subject undergoes the action. So that's how, how they explain that. If you, and, and this is how you can practice. What was the passive verb? Was beaten. Because the subject undergoes the action here. Not unlike the active where the subject performs the action. Um, wait a minute. Am I reading this wrong here? Give me a second here. If the subject performs the action of the verb, we call the verb act active. If the subject receives the action of the verb, we call the verb passive. Okay, yes. So I'm reading it correctly. I just want to make sure. Then, of course, we have the next one. 
Spanish is spoken by more than 300 million people worldwide. The last one, it says more than 300 million people speak Spanish. Here it says Spanish is spoken by more than 300 million people worldwide. So here they emphasize the subject goes first. Basically, what was it, was it spoken by 300 million people? Spanish. But in this, this one, because it's the passive, Spanish is spoken by more than 300 million people worldwide. So that's another form of a passive verb. And then we have the last example here. The matter will be taken forward by Jack. So that before it said Jack will take the matter forward. Jack was the subject. The active verb was will take the matter forward. Here, the matter is the subject. And the passive verb will be taken forward by Jack. So this is how they switched it around and made it more passive. It's kind of like what we learn about the passive voice and active voice. So that was another good example of passive example. And this was taken all from the OxfordDictionaries.com online of the verb and the, the uh, active and passive voice. So those are all examples. And you could also categorize them and put them in a, uh, in a different category so, so you can practice. So. So this is, this is very important, and you can still work on that. The next thing is you can convert passive and to-be verbs into the active. For example, it was her observation that it, in order to become um, active, you can say she observed. Instead of saying it was her observation, you can say she observed. What is, what is another example you can say? You can say it was his duty. Uh, it was his duty to teach the lesson. Then to make it active, you could say he taught the lesson. Instead of it was his duty to teach, he taught the lesson. And that makes it active. And those are some examples. And you can always practice on converting from um, passive to active. You could also pack, practice uh, from making active to passive. You could do it both ways. And, and you could also use the Purdue-Owl is another one that gives good examples. OxfordDictionaries.com online gives a lot of good examples. Or in your own work, you could find those examples as well. Now, in the third one, it asks... In your own work and in the newspaper, search for verb qualifiers and see what happens when you cut them. So I went ahead and looked up examples that I thought were best done by the Writing Center at unc.edu. This is the Writing Center we have at UNC Chapel Hill here in North Carolina. I thought I would use these examples of the qualifiers that they have. Now, what is a qualifier? Okay, so let's explain that first. Qualifiers are words or phrases that are added to another word to modify its meaning, either by limiting it, he was somewhat busy, or by enhancing it. The dog was very cute. Qualifiers can play an important role in your writing. 
giving your t reader clues about how confident you feel about the information you're presented, presenting. Sorry. In fact, hedging, it says, as it's sometimes called, is an important feature of academic writing because academic writers need to clearly indicate whether they think claims are certain, likely, unlikely, or just false. But excessive use of qualifiers can make you sound unsure of your facts. It can also make your writing too informal. So, qualifiers can be your friends, it says. Here are some words and phrases that can help you indicate uncertainty without sounding too like you don't know what you're talking about. Appears, seems, suggests, and indicates. Those are good words to use because qualifiers are often necessary, such as when your evidence or your claim is open to doubt. In such cases, using a qualifier allows you to present your findings with what we can call confident uncertainty, which reflects a need to be cautious and critical about the data you're presenting. Sometimes you may be required to present your ideas before you have a chance to fully interpret your research findings. At other times, you may want to remind readers of the limitations of your particular research, it says. So it's also very important to distinguish between absolute or universal claims in which you are asserting that something is true always and everywhere and more particular claims in which you're asserting something but recognizing that your claim has limits. Let's take a look at some absolute words and some more qualifier, qualified alternatives. So it, it has absolute, it says will, and qualified means may, might, and could. Forms of be, am, is, are, was, were. Qualified would be may be, might have been, may have been. Absolute says all. And then it says many, most, numerous, countless, a majority for qualified. Absolute has every. Qualified says same as all. And those are some few examples of that. Now let's look at the examples they give. In the academic writing, especially when you were a student, like when I was a student at Southern New Hampshire, um, when I was going for my Master's of English and Creative Writing, we had a lot of papers and stuff to work on or write, especially when you're working on an assignment, whether it be an essay in English or those that were taking history, take a historical you know, argument that you're working on. You, it says in most academic writing, this is what the writing center at .unc.edu says, uh, you make an argument to support a thesis. To make a strong argument, you'll need to convince readers of your points. Consider these two sentences. President Nixon probably resigned as a result of the Watergate cover-up. The next one says President Nixon resigned as a result of the Watergate cover-up. So the first one says probably resigned. The second one says resigned. The first sentence makes your reader doubt the conclusion you arrived at. The latter sentence leaves no doubt about your argument for the cause of Nixon's resignation. How can you know which sentence to choose? It says, you'll need to think about the impact your choices will have on your reader. So the qualifiers express doubt. They leave your reader wondering if you know what you're talking about. Constructions like it appears that and it seems likely that diminish the strength of your claim. So constructions like it appear that and it seems likely that diminish the strength of your claim. Sometimes that's exactly what you want when you don't want to overstate your case and cannot justify making a stronger, more direct claim. But if you are confident of your evidence using strong qualifiers 
like these can lead your reader to doubt whether you know what you're talking about or to think about or to think that you are not willing to make responsibility for your ideas. So let's consider these two examples they give. Consider these two examples below. Does the writer sound confident in her understanding of the theories of Freud and Weber? Listen. It appears that Freud believed that Freud, and this they're talking about Sigmund Freud, believed the unconscious played a significant role in behavior. Max Weber seems to argue that capitalism arises partly out of Protestant values. Does Freud in fact think that the unconscious affects people's behavior? Does Weber really think capitalism arises for Protestant values? If so, the writer should probably just make those claims without the qualifiers. So here are some examples of words to keep an eye on, in addition to the qualifiers already listed below. Basically, essentially, generally, kind of, mostly, pretty, rather, slightly, somewhat, sort of, various, and virtually, it says. Qualifiers in your writing style. Writing that contains too many qualifiers can sound unclear and wordy. We often rely on qualifiers, especially intensifiers, because we get, uh, because we, sorry, either don't know or don't take the time to find the appropriate word. Instead, we construct our meaning by employing a not quite right word with a qualifier added to strengthen or to tone down a noun or verb. Let's hear these examples they give. Anna Karenina is a somewhat admirable character. What is a better way of saying it? Anna Karenina is a sympathetic character. It sounds direct and to the point. It's kind of like taking off all the qualifiers, like overly, uh, like taking them out. December in Moscow is really cold. What's a better way of saying it? December in Moscow is freezing. You take the really cold and just say it was freezing. The theme of community is very important in Russian literature. The better way of saying it, the theme of community is central in Russian literature. This is what it means by you take out unnecessary qualifiers. You cut them down and it makes it a better flow on what you're trying to say. In each of the above examples, the second sentence employs a word with a more precise meaning and it is more conscious. She was very happy, doesn't capture the nuisances that can be expressed by overjoyed, thrilled, or ecstatic. Pay, pay special attention to these commonly overused intensifiers. A lot, really, and very. Those are kind of, especially as writers, those are kind of things to look out for that make it a little bit more distracting. Um, and and it, it, it's unnecessary at times to have to overuse that. Now, let me try to find something on my work that may work for uh, something like a, a, a overly uh, using a qualifier, o overly doing a qualifier or, or changing it a little bit where I can use a qualifier to it. Let's see. Let me look in one of the sections here. Okay. So I'm reading from chapter one page five of Chasing Clarity again, and I'm going to change this a little bit. Um, and the third sentence I have, well, although I did not have concrete proof, that's a little bit off of, a little bit of the old, doing the qualifier thing. 
Uh, it's because first she says, in my seventh grade English class, I started to feel a connection between us. I could not explain it. I mean, how can a 12-year-old a 12-year-old girl know when she's in love, right? So here I had written, well, although I did not have concrete proof, instead of saying, you know how it says Anna Karenina is somewhat admirable character? Well, I didn't have concrete proof, but I knew what I felt. Instead of saying, well, although I did not have concrete proof, I knew what I felt. Basically, well, I did not have concrete proof, but I knew what I felt. So that's how I would change it to take out the, the qualifier, cut out and see how the flow of it goes instead of, in, you know, intensifying it by adding way too many qualifiers. They are, they are important, just like Roy Peter Clark said, you know, it is important to use them, but an overuse, as she says, both Fleming and Gall avoid verb qualifiers that attach themselves to standard prose like barnacles to the hull of a ship. She said, they, even he says in his book, scrape away those crustaceans during revision. He gives the example of sort of, tend to, kind of, must have, seem to, could have, used to, begin to. Just like write, the writing center at unc.edu, they also give examples of why you shouldn't overuse the qualifiers and and uh, or you overuse intensifiers like a lot really or very those are kind of like filler words that you don't need to use in your manuscript or writing or any type of paper to 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 give it the intensity it deserves so that's what that question on the workshop for activate your verbs uh means on uh, number three you could practice on your own and the newspaper and another type of work that you may have and then number four, experiment with, uh, with both voice and tense. Find a passage you have written in the active voice and then the past tense. Change the verbs to the present tense and consider the effect. Does it seem more immediate? Now this is something that I checked out with the um, Purdue Owl. I did that first and then... And, and, uh, don't forget to check out the Writing Center at unc.edu. You can look up qualifiers. And um, it is called, uh, yeah, the qualifier sheet. And that's writingcenter.unc.edu. And then we have, let's see here. We, we uh, talked about what active, you know, verbs and, and passive verbs are. Now we're going to go into the active voice and passive voice and I'll give you an example in my own work I hope these are help helping you because I certainly okay the Purdue Owl which is one of the big uh, the big ones that uh, the, the, the best place that I feel helps writers and in writing. I used it a lot at SNHU. Um, the owl.english.purdue.edu. Look that up. And we're going to go into what active and passive voices are. Now, here they have a handout. And it's very basic. And it explains using active versus passive voice. Okay, let's start. The dog bit the boy. 
Okay, in this sentence, using active voice, the subject of the sentence performs the action expressed in the verb. Okay, the next one says, scientists have concluded, I mean, have conducted experiments to test the hypothesis. The arrow is pointing from the subject performing the action. Um, and here, the same thing. In the first one, it says, the arrow points from the subject performing the action, which is the dog, to the individual being acted upon the boy. This is an example of a sentence using the active voice. The scientists have concluded experiments to test the hypothesis. Sample active voice sentence with a subject performing the action described by the verb. What did the scientists, what did they conclude that uh, have concluded experiments to test the hypothesis, uh, hypothesis? Sorry about that. Now the third one, watching a framed mobile world through a car's windshield reminds me of watching a movie or TV. The active voice sentence subject watching a frame mobile world performs the action reminding the speaker of something. These are all active voices. Now, for example, let's say, let me see if I can find a paragraph here of an active voice. Okay. Here, this is an active voice because it's written in first person. Mia says, my name is Mia Gerard, and dancing had always been a part of my life for as long as I could remember. She could also have said, my name is Mia Gerard, and dancing has always been a part of my life for as long as I can remember. Those are, that's the way to change that. And that's uh, the active voice. And now we're going to practice on the passive voice. Okay. Now, in a sentence using passive voice, the subject is acted upon, kind of like the verbs are. Here she receives the action expressed by the verb. The agent performing the action may appear in a by the phrase or may be omitted. The boy was bitten by the dog. So this, the boy was bitten by the dog. So that's more passive. Not the dog bit the boy, but the boy was bitten. It already passed. It's past tense. Research will be presented by Fuja at the conference. So here, the example includes sentence, the passive voice, because the subject, the research is being acted upon by another person. This time it didn't say the scientist conducted. It says a specific scientist named Pooja is the one that conducted the research. So here is more of a research will be presented by, in the past tense, Pooja at the conference. That's a passive voice. And then it has the entrance, the entrance exam, excuse me, was spelled by over one third of the applicants to the school. So here, this is an example of the passive voice. What was failed on? The entrance exam was failed by over one-third of the applicants to the school. The way to make it active would be what? One-third of the applicants failed the entrance exam. That would be more of the active voice. Or let's see here. Let me go back to the active. Uh, let's see here. Okay. Yes, one-third of the applicants have failed the entrance exam. Have failed. That's more present. 
that makes it active. So that that those are the examples of active and passive voice in the uh, using the owl.english.purdue.edu. You could always go to your own work and make it and make it more more uh, instead of past tense, make it present. Like the active would be, my name is Mia Gerard, and dancing has always been a part of my life for as long as I can remember. The way I have it is more of a passive. My name is Mia Gerard and dancing had always been a part of my life for as long as I could remember. So I'm reading it more in the past tense, which is more of a passive voice, but to make it active, make it in the present tense voice. That's the way to do it. And you could practice with other uh, works, just like Roy Peter Clark does in his, uh, when he uh, describes about activating your verbs and he discusses the different writers and the different sections that you can use to describe on the writing tools, 50 essential strategies for every writer. This is all different. You can change the verbs to the present tense and consider the effect. You could practice on your own. So these are just some of the examples that I wanted to go over, these four questions in the workshop. There are five and you could do number five as well. But I wanted to kind of go back and do the review of these important workshops because we did work on the other two and I think they make an effect um, and I wanted to cover all the sections that I had said. Uh, next week I will be doing the be passive aggressive review then the workshop and then going to watch those adverbs and try to go into a new writing tip um, discussion as well. But I'm really pleased that I was able to do the workshop and activating your verbs using the book by writing tools by 50 essential strategies for every writer by Roy Peter Clark. I really hope you have enjoyed this broadcast uh, through podbean.com. This, uh, this uh, will be a podcast or show of the writing tips for this workshop will be available right after. Uh, I will upload it immediately to podbean.com. You should be, uh, have it available right away. And then you could also download it on iTunes, I believe tomorrow, and on Google Play through your mobile device. But you could also uh, download it on iTunes through your computer, uh, laptop, and all of that. And again, I do appreciate um, you tuning in. I'm really excited about In the Artist Realm uh, with with myself, Sylvia Stein. And I do love... love uh, giving advice on writing, getting back to that. I also want to let you know that tomorrow I have an uh, exclusive one-on-one -on -one in the artist realm, and I'm so excited to be bringing you more of these podcasts. I have one with uh, one of Stitch Smile Publications uh, authors, uh, James Matthew Byers. I'll have him tomorrow, and we're going to discuss on his writing and his journey as a writer and it's going to be so exciting. I can't wait to bring him to you here tomorrow. And I appreciate all the guests I've had so far uh, from last year to this year. I'm so grateful for all the authors that have taken the time to stop in. I also have uh, more new writers, debut writers to bring you this month. Um, I have two other uh, great authors and uh, co-authors that are going to be here in a few weeks. And more exciting stuff to come and more writing tips as well. I really do appreciate your time. Thank you for being here in the artist realm. Please go ahead and email me 
uh, about the show. Um, if you have questions on the workshop, uh, the Sil Writer 7 at Gmail or silstein 7 at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook in the Artist Realm with Sylvia Stein. Feel free to send us a message. Follow us on Podbean in the Artist Realm with Sylvia Stein. And I really hope you enjoy this broadcast and this show. And thank you so much for being here again today. I really do appreciate the time. And now I will say bid adieu and, uh, and hope to catch you here again on our show. And again, this is Sylvia Stein in the Artist Realm. I hope you all will have a great, great evening. And I appreciate the time. And uh, again, um, I hope to see you here again um, on our show. And uh, tune in and uh, we'll talk to you later. We'll see you later. Thank you so much. Oh, this is good. Take care. Have a good one. This was a broadcast from Podbean.com in the artist realm with Sylvia Stein. Join us again next week.